This is Cher, and I'm here with Jason and Rob. Guys, if you had to describe this podcast in five words or less, what would you say? I'm going to go with Wild E. Coyote guzzling gasoline. I'm thinking climate change diarrhea hurricane. (laughs) Are you serious? Maybe I should do this thing on my own. Fine. It's a show about how to stay sane in a world where there's too many people consuming too much stuff and the planet can't take it anymore. You had me at diarrhea. Caution, if you're allergic to four-letter words, you might want to try a different podcast. You guys ever go to the monuments in Washington, D.C.? They're awesome, right? You got the Washington Monument, Lincoln Memorial, all kinds of good stuff. I only go to the Civil War Confederate Heroes monuments. (laughs) I saw saw Lincoln (laughs) at night. It was pretty spectacular. Yeah, well, I got to tell you this uh, quick story about a monument I saw in D.C. I was there for a conference on ecological economics and the environment. And we were, of course, having this meeting in the Ronald Reagan building because... (laughs) Yeah, ecological economics. The first person you think of is Ronald Reagan. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, total environmentalist, right? Right. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, it's actually an irony because the EPA is housed in that building. Poor poor, poor EPA. (laughs) But so in the main foyer where our conference, you know, had had the big gathering space, there's these two monuments, these big stone deals that are pinned up on the wall. One is just a a relief of of Ronald Reagan's head. Uh, It's kind of nice because just his head maybe got chopped off. But the other one is this quote of Ronald Reagan's, which was completely ironic given the conference that it was at. You want to, you want to know what this oh, thing yeah. said? Sure. Well, well, let's let's hear it from Reagan's mouth. Here, play play this clip. There are no limits to growth and human progress when men and women are free to follow their dreams. Okay, so repeat that for me. He said, "There are no limits to growth and human progress when men and women are free to follow their dreams." Oh, jeez! What a punch, Ronnie, in the mouth. <laughs> I think that's just so stupid. There are no limits. No limits to growth. Right. None. Right. Zero. Right. Well, I, I can think of a few, but I, you know, is that what we're going to get into? Like, what? I'd like to. What, what can you think of? What do you got? Oh, my goodness. You know, rabbits in Australia or whatever. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, the world is the world's full of problems when things grow too big. Um, I, I used to teach an ecology class, right? And we would do this, uh, we would, I would do this simple exercise where I would have the students calculate how long it would take for a bacteria, um, humans or elephants to equal the mass of the earth given like their intrinsic rate of growth. You know, this bacteria can divide every 20 or 30 minutes and, you know, in, in a day or two <laughs> or three or something, it hits the mass of the planet earth. Except Just from doubling every 20 or 30 minutes. Something must be limiting those bacteria. Well, that's the thing, is that they always run into limits, so there's... But there are no <laughs> limits. <laughs> He's talking about humans, okay? Right, we're, we're, we're exceptional. We're we exceptional. We're different. Well, we have what? brains. I, I mean, I'm still growing. Yeah. Well, might not be growing the right way, but... I'm, I'm trying to shed a few pounds. I, I think you might be confusing developing and growing. Uh, but let's talk about that a little bit. Like, what was Reagan talking about? He's talking about economic growth. And for our listeners out there, uh, they might want to... We, we might all want to get on the same page of what that is. So what what that means is... 
When your economy is growing every year, the gross domestic product or GDP is increasing in size. And that GDP is just a measure of the dollar value of all the goods and services that get produced in an economy. So uh, and it really boils down to how many people do you have and how much are they consuming? So if you're talking about growing the economy, you're either adding to the population or you're adding to the amount that each person consumes or both. Usually both. Yeah, right now. Nowadays. Well, that's, what, that's what we've been doing. Yeah. We've been doing both, right? And I should mention that uh, economic growth, it's it's pitched as you want to grow a certain percentage every year. 3% is yeah. often the, what's thrown out there. So that means exponential growth, like your uh, your. Well, th- divide three into 70, and that gives you the doubling time, right? So, Right, let's, let's stick yeah. on that for a sec, because okay. that's not a commonly known thing. So you ta- that's the rule of thumb. You take yeah. 70... Divided by the percentage, so 3%. Uh, of annual growth rate. Yeah, so that was at 20-something, 22 years, 24 years, uh, three into uh, 70. Yeah, something like a 22 and a half years, maybe. Okay, yeah. To double. To double, Right. Right. So that means, okay, so if we had 3% growth every 20 plus years, the economy would double in size. Right, which is incredible to think about. So imagine if we're trying to grow the world economy at 3% right now, add 23 years to what's, what is it, was like 2040 or whatever? <laughs> we have double the, double the consumption of resources that we do now. I don't think that's even possible anymore. Well, and then you, that's the problem with the, the whole exponential growth. 20 years beyond that, which is it'd not be, It'd be four far. times. It'd be four times. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's insane. So, Well, we've had periods where growth has actually been much more than that. I mean, China has been growing at you know, close to like 10%. Yeah, for a, yeah, for a clip. Which right. is <laughs> fucking crazy. Well, that means that, that. In, that means they double their economy in seven years. Right. <laughs> Can you imagine living through that? I mean, yeah. people well, say my, China's nuts. My, they go to visit my China. son is a little over seven, and he's grown more than, than twice the size in that, that okay. period of time. So, so there's an appropriate... clearly achievable. Well, there's yeah. an appropriate period of growth. Th- thankfully, sure. his uh, exponential growth is going to slow down. Otherwise, he'd be like that guy, uh, Robert Wadlow. You guys know right. him? Oh, yeah. yeah. Guinness Book of World yeah, Records. Book yeah. World yeah. Records. Did he, is he still the top... Eight foot eleven, that guy. guy. Eight, Eight foot, foot eleven. <laughs> is he still the record holder? Do you know? He couldn't oh, yeah. even dunk a basketball because he like hit his elbow on it. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> probably smash his forehead against the net. You know. <laughs> <laughs> right. I I remember. Uh, I, I think every kid from our era was fascinated yes. by the Guinness Book of World Records, and he that he was the page that you turned to yes. first. Yes. He's just incredible to see this man who's eight foot eleven. Yeah. What were your other favorite pages? Oh, yeah. the, the two fat twins or whatever the on motorbikes. the motorcycles? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude with the massively long mustache. The fingernails know? that were all oh, curly, disgusting. Up. Oh, those are sick. <laughs> yeah, we all had the same favorite. Of course, you know, yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger was in that, yeah. that, that version. It's like the most muscled man or something. <laughs> yeah. Right. They do better now with yeah. all the steroids. The man who took the most steroids. <laughs> right. right. But, but getting back to, to Wadlow, like that... That guy, uh, there was something wrong with his pituitary gland, yeah. right? And he, it's actually a really sad story because he was this really well-liked person and he was a celebrity, right? Because you can't not notice this guy. Yeah. And so he started actually touring with Barnum and Bailey or you know, <laughs> the right. circus and he started going to parades and stuff. And uh, he ended up dying really young at the age of 22, because he was in a parade and he, he used to wear leg braces mm-hmm. and one of them rubbed his ankle and he got a blister and the blister went septic and his heart just couldn't 
pump blood to his extremities well enough to heal stuff like that. Right. So, you know, like you think about that, you get a blister and you die. Right. Uh, that's what happens when continuous growth is is pushing the limits of the system. Right. And of course, now that we figured out what was causing that was a, you know, a problem with the pituitary gland that medically we we stopped that growth so that, you know, this person could continue to develop rather than right. continue to well, grow. Well, we wanted him to be tall enough that he could actually still make money off of his height. Right? Yeah, like seven foot, seven foot one was ideal, right, for its center? Yeah, yeah, yeah. for basketball, yeah. Right. Right, right. <laughs> what I'm interested in thinking about a little bit is where did this fixation on growth even come from, right? Like, have we always been trying to grow our economies and growing population? Have we always grown them? And if you sort of look back at the historical record, you sort of realize that it hasn't necessarily been the the goal of society. And we've had periods of growth over time and then periods of contraction. It wasn't really until, you know, the last relatively recent period in human history that we've just been growing and growing and growing. And it's amazing because it's like, it's so embedded in our consciousness, this yeah, right. idea of growth. You know, I remember this, um, I remember uh, there was this this scandal, supposed scandal that happened, I don't know, a few years ago called Climate Gate. You know, and they supposedly, there were some guys who were climate deniers and they hacked into the email of a climate scientist. And, I remember that. Um, and they basically, you know, said they found the smoking gun where there were communications and the development of these these scientific reports that they were writing where they claimed that they were sort of conflating the numbers, you know what I mean? And it was like, ah, we gotcha. You guys are faking this thing. It was not real. And I remember Bill McKibben, who, uh, you know, he's a fellow at, at Post Carbon Institute and one of the founders of 350.org, you know, is really well known as a climate activist and, and writer. When that whole scandal happened and the timing of it was such that it was done right before this, you know, big international meeting to try to you know get action on climate and, uh, you know, he made this comment like, look, there's been so much climate science done, so much study done that you're going to find inconsistencies. You're going to find this stuff, you know, because there are mounds and mounds and like piles of paper that could fill a room. Right. So you could cherry pick whatever you want. And I was thinking about that because there is nothing you go in a room that says we can grow the economy forever or population forever on this finite planet. You go in a room and there's like no data to support that at <laughs> no, all, right? Zero. But we we just walk around taking it for granted like it's like a like gravity or some other yeah. physical law. Well, that's the problem, right? It's it's wishful thinking. I mean, there were, you talked about going back in history. There was a time where growing the economy probably did help with progress, right? That you could have uh, more people working together to solve some problem that we had, but it's not always the case. And we, we just ran with it. You know, like at some point in history, you said, okay, yeah, growth and progress seem to be going hand in hand. Therefore, mm -hmm. growth forever must be the way to go. And well, it's you, like your kid who's seven or eight can grow for a while. Growth and progress goes together. But at some point, it tapers off and they reach adulthood. Right. But oh. then then you get these magical statements from, from the Reagans, right? There are no limits to growth. He... He sounds like a Disney character. Right? You know, what's interesting is that if you think culturally, Reagan followed Carter, right? And what was going on with Carter, you know, in that administration? I mean, Carter was coming in. Well, first of all, you know, Carter, I think, was coming in after 
a period of, I would say, maybe the pinnacle of environmental awareness sort of in this country. And he wasn't necessarily like the environmental president, although it was something that he was concerned about. But he was dealing with a lot of economic issues, and there was concern about energy shortages, right. you know. And yeah. um, so he was, I think, trying to – you remember he he's, he uh, reduced the speed limit on highways? I right. <laughs> never do that. Fucker. Oh, my God. Yeah. You want to guarantee yourself a short, <laughs> a short political <laughs> career? <laughs> but he tried to speak very honestly about the situation. Right. Yeah. That that was number one though. Like, yeah, if you mistake. you want to get booted out of office, just lower Speak the speed, lower the speed limit and tell the <laughs> tell truth. The truth. Yeah. Right, right. Two things you should never do. Right. There's a reason none of us ever made it onto our uh, our student councils. But but you know we I, I mean you you touch on this, Rob. Like I think that our sort of economic thinking or you know it's they call it dismal science. It's not a science, but the you know, the the field of economics grew up and matured in a period where we actually had pretty remarkable growth. Because of oil. Right? Well, really, yeah. It's driven by energy and this abundance of, like, the short-term abundance of a a supply of magical energy that we were able to harness and turn that into consumption of resources and get people to buy shit. And and so they... You're born into that, just like someone is born into wealth and they feel like they earned it. You know, right. like they're born into that, and right. they think and it's sort, normal. sort of feel like that is normal, right? right? So, so it kind of makes sense that we might think, oh, well, not only has this worked so far, it's going to continue to work, you know, sort of indefinitely in the future. You know, it pisses me off. It's like, okay, I think it's a problem of scale, like you're saying. During the development of economics of economic theories, okay, which which in the 19th and 20th century was industrial revolution time, Mm -hmm. tremendous growth potential because of fossil fuels. I kind of think of it as a trajectory. Like I remember watching like Mark McGuire hit a home run in Cardinal stadium, right? The ball would go up for a while and then it would start coming down. But if all you did was extrapolate from the first, you know, second off his bat, you wouldn't think there were no limits. Yeah, that ball is still in orbit, isn't <laughs> it's it? Still in no. orbit. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing. It's the out scale. there with Elon Musk's car. Somewhere. Yeah, in yeah. a in a whole big bag of steroids as well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But but there's no but there's no perspective on that. There are physical laws related to a baseball in flight, and there are physical laws related to economy and its ability to grow. Uh, and there are just uh, different scales of 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 the of change. Now you're you're just talking crazy. See. <laughs> You know where Reagan got a lot of this stuff from was from a, a business professor mm. named Julian Simon. Oh, gosh. You guys, you guys remember that? Dude? Oh, of course I remember <laughs> Julian Simon. Don't, whatever, no, don't, don't do this. Whatever Simon says, uh, we do. <laughs> this is going to so, hurt. So he wrote this book called The Ultimate Resource. And of course, the ultimate resource is the vaunted human mind. Because right. people never do anything stupid. We're, we're <laughs> just the greatest. Uh, well, remember Reagan said there are no limits to, to human innovation, right? That's right. Well, yeah, growth and progress. So in this book that Julian Simon wrote, the ultimate, the ultimate Resource, he had this quote where he said, We have in our hands now, well, actually, uh, in our libraries, the technology to feed, clothe, and supply energy to an ever-growing population for the next seven billion years. <laughs> now, I don't, I don't think he understood how big a billion was, but he later kind of retracted that and said, "Oh no, no, I meant to say seven million years." Right. So, did he ever take high school math? I don't know, but <laughs> but then the uh, the kind of humble physicist Albert Bartlett did a total takedown on Simon. He actually ran the math on. 
growing the population at 1% a year over yeah. 7 million Which, years. Which, by the way, 1% a year would be a disappointment to right. most economists yeah. and politicians, right? Yeah, so he did this way back in 1998, and uh, with that much growth, you'd get a population of 2.3 times 10 raised to the power of 30,410, <laughs> which is way bigger than the estimated number of atoms in the universe. <laughs> the universe is huge. <laughs> I mean, he said it would only take, it would only take 17,000 years to get to the number of atoms in the universe, yeah, not, not, seven, not million. 7 million, let alone 7 billion. <laughs> right, right. And this is the kind of stuff that Reagan based his... Well, well Julian Simon maybe wasn't so great on math, yeah. right? right. Like maybe but but here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. These are the people who we elect, who we put in charge of policy. I mean, does anyone nowadays really have full faith and confidence in elected officials and policymakers? I mean, in 2018. hundred percent. Oh, I You're do. always right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, what kind of question is that? <laughs> you don't have to be in 2018. Of course. You could be in the year 18. Right, right, right. <laughs> Um, I don't know. That was a stupid question. <laughs> I'm just flabbergasted by this. Well, okay. So a little bit of a saving grace. There are some economists and, and other kinds of professors who actually took a physics class yeah. who, who know something about energy. And they've, uh, they're actually saying, we need to change. We need to prepare for a post-growth society. Yeah, I mean, there's there's people doing it now. There was a, a a recent meeting that happened in 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 Brussels, right, where there are uh, what 238 economists who all signed on to basically say academics, not just not all. They're not economists. All yeah. of them. Some of them. Um, and they they basically called for you know getting rid of GDP as a measurement of our of our well being, right? We need to we need to track and measure different things. Pursuing GDP at all costs, GDP growth at all costs is is destroying us and, and the planet. I think one of them was Dan O'Neill, who Rob knows pretty well, wrote a book with him. Yeah, yeah. Dan was the, I think he was the lead on that. And yeah, I worked real closely with Dan, writing the book Enough is Enough. So uh, yeah, most of what I learned, I, I learned from him, you know, because I don't know anything. <laughs> well, I hate to be a cynic about this, but like, this is not new. No. And and no offense, Rob, the book that you and Dan wrote wasn't, wasn't necessarily you know, completely virgin territory. No, no, no. It was not. uh, In fact, it it was not at all um, our own thinking. We just raided stuff that's been around for a long time. What came out in 1972? Does anyone remember? I did. I came out of my... (laughs) My, my mother's body, 1972. Enough. We don't. We don't really want to hear you about that. Hear about you know? <laughs> yeah. 1972 limits to growth. Right. 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 So, uh, for those listening who aren't familiar with this, limits to growth was a study that was done by these MIT researchers. They were, you know, contracted by a group uh, called the Club of Rome to basically try to answer this question of like if if you sort of extrapolated the trajectory we're on, you know, what would happen? And they. I think they had actually developed the first computer model, um, at least the, that I'm aware of, and they kind of plugged in this data, you know, looking at, at imp- inputs like resources and population and pollution, and they sort of try to model out these different pathways of what would happen. And as the title explains, there are limits, right? Yeah, and right. even if they tweak certain things, you know, you certainly, you at a certain point, Run up against your limit, the limits of being able to continue to grow. Right. And um, in their standard run scenario, 
we're kind of tracking that. Yeah. You know, they updated it in uh, 1992. And then I think there was another publication 2004. in 2004. Yeah. And uh, in the last few years, another research group kind of like looked at it again and said, sure, yeah. gosh, they're on this sort of business as usual trajectory that was done in 72. Well, you know, I think there are two things that are fascinating about it. I mean, one is that they were systems analysts. They actually looked at feedback. They looked at the connections between what was going on in the economy and what happens in the environment, which is something you don't get when you're in a standard economics uh, course or all of your training as an economist. It's you were a, of, you you had a major in, eco- in economics, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't recall ever touching the limits to growth in any <laughs> conversation. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, somehow I got past that. But good, for, good job. But the other thing that's amazing about it is the the assassination job that was done on that whole on the limits to growth on the people that that worked on it. On there Jimmy was Carter. A, there, yeah, Jimmy <laughs> Carter. He he was a proponent of what was in there. It, it was a very much uh, an orchestrated. We got to take these people down so that we can keep growing the economy because that's what we are. That's well, what we're all about. And I think we have to, you know, be interesting to talk to people who kind of lived through that moment. Yeah, you know, we were all born around that time. Yeah, but uh, we were still developing and growing you know, ourselves. <laughs> At that time, I said there were no limits. Right. Yeah, that's what you said. Because <laughs> you didn't want to have to go to bed, right? No. <laughs> there are no limits. Elmo told me. There are no limits. But, you know, they um, <laughs> that, there's this period, I like, right? I like Elmo. In the early 70s where, you know, the environmental movement really, I think they learned from the civil rights movement. They stepped up and they were demanding action on, on protecting the environment, you know, protecting watersheds and forests and all those things. And, you know, the first Earth Day... Right? Was that 1970? I mean, they had like 10 million people marching in the street, which, you know, I don't know what the what the population of the United States was at the time, but it, it was four million. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. <laughs> There's a lot of pollution created by all those six million people coming in for, to, to participate in the marching. Um, so, yeah, but it was a significant percentage of the population. People were mobilized on this stuff, right? And then limits of growth comes out and population bomb comes out you know there's right. a lot of conversation yeah, silent spring was before that yeah, exactly. that was huge yeah, there's a lot Carson. of conversation about sort of hey there actually are limits yeah. to us dumping our waste and you know into our rivers and and uh and there's a real impact on the environment from our behavior this is before i think climate change even was like nixon signed aware. the epa yeah. the, i mean and nixon in some ways was the most progressive you actually <laughs> yeah. look at, at at policy that was oh was tons passed. of things came yeah. in around that time clean water act the uh, environmental policy act the the endangered species act it was like the golden age of putting in check But then there's a reaction to that, right? So the reaction to that is attacking the the authors of Limits of Growth. I remember I asked my dad, who was born in 45, he was a baby boomer, part of that whole generation, and I asked him, you know, had he ever heard of this thing? And I mentioned Club of Rome. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, those guys, they were discredited. I've heard that even from, like, academic biologists. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you haven't read it necessarily, and you've just heard the the story around it, you think, oh, I, I'm not going to bother with that. Right. I mean, the pro- the propaganda is incredible. You read it and you go, uh, yeah, no doubt, reasonable. Right. <laughs> and, and yet there's an aura around it that was wrong. And and that's what I find absolutely fascinating, that that was able, able to create that. And it's and it's persisted, right? right. So we... So it's it's fantastic that there's this this group of academics, you know, that are demanding thinking differently about what our economic goals are. 
of course, it's in Europe, you know, not right. necessarily in the, here in the United it's States. It's a much harder sell here in, yeah. the, in the good old U.S. of A. But this is, you know, 45 years after the, the publication of Limits of Growth, you know, came out. And I don't know that we've gone much further, you know, in terms of people's understanding or questioning of these things. And I think part of it is, and this is what Julian Simon was doing, and I think what Reagan was talking about. He was talking progress, but I think a lot of people point to human ingenuity or innovation, you know, and they say that there aren't limits to that, right? And so we'll somehow figure out a way to deal with these physical limits. You know, we'll, we're going to get more efficient. We're going to substitute resources. If we if we deplete one resource, we'll get another well, one. Well, so the limits of growth modeled all of that. They they said, what if we got more efficient? What if we substituted? Right. What if we had technical innovation that allowed us to blah, blah, blah? Everything you're talking about they thought about it in 72, and they said, let's throw that into the computer but even model. A lo- even most environmentalists don't really, don't really understand the exponential no, the function. No function. Right. And so they think that substitution you know, is, is totally achievable. Well, what I think is going on is that, in some ways, okay, that there's actually a, this, this structural lock-in and imperative for growth in the systems that we have in place. And somehow, and unless you can... Unless you can accept that there's a structural barrier and that you can't, you have to get around those somehow, you won't move past. And that's why I think these European folks are going to probably try to talk about. Yeah. But Rob, you're you're better at this. You wrote a well, you wrote a book that dealt with this to some extent. Well, so, so I think you're exactly right. Like, why would a Reagan or a Simon say let's keep growing the economy forever? It's because the way we built the economy, the way it's structured, it relies on growth right now. So you. You would have to have an entirely different sort of economy that didn't need to grow in order to function. And so there's there's things about our economy that have to have that growth. One example is that our, all of our money is created as debt, which... With, basic, with interest. Yeah, basically banks issue money into the economy expecting to be paid more later. Right, right. And, principal and interest. Right, so it, you have to have growth in order to have that money supply increase. Uh, there's other things too. There's um, this whole notion a lot of us have of we can get something for nothing. Uh, like if I invest money in the stock market or I buy a house and I don't do anything to it, I can suddenly sell it for more a few years down the road. All the retirement funds are depending on that exact issue right there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. If, I don't know if the psychology is so much I can get something for nothing. I think that. It's the only avenue that people are offered for envisioning a retirement that is, you know, you work your ass off for decades, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't necessarily get compensated well enough (laughs) that if you, you know, saved and squirreled away your money without it growing, that you could live off of it, you know, when you retired. Well, there's that's a convenience, though, of those. You can keep wages down if people are expecting that's exactly they're right. going to be able to invest and save. And, and that's it. a structural thing. Which yeah. It has to do with the, the fact that, that the wealth and you know, wealth generation isn't distributed equally, right? right? right. So people can, can work a shitty job if they get like a, the, the company sets up a 401k for them and they stick their money or they have a pension. We don't have very right. many of those, but you stick your money in the market and you just wait. It's going to double every seven years right. or whatever the hell but it that's is. But that's a, that's a structure of the economy right now right. that we're all vest, invested in, right? Because right. You, you if you put money into a mutual fund or stocks or some kind of retirement account and you're expecting that to grow exponentially, I mean, what? Something like 8% a year 
averaged out is what the the stock market has grown at. So, well, they they say, but if it's actually hasn't really performed that well, you know, historically over over the long term. But I, I buy low and sell high, though. You do? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so. man, you got to teach me your tricks. <laughs> yeah, I, I do the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> you do not teach me your tricks. Right, right. And I work for a nonprofit, too. <laughs> yeah, you, you're real smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, then I think there's legal stuff. Like, like if, you're, if, you're a, if you're a corporate executive, right, you have legal imperatives for, for profit. And there's a lot of pressure from, from you know, the public markets to keep expanding, to keep yeah, growing that's your share. Exactly. That's the only way you're going to get equity for people because they think they're, they're going to be able to grow that equity. Right? Right, right, right. Well, and you can see how that plays out among corporations that were that were originally built for social purposes, or or you know that that had environmental or or socially conscientious things built into their structure. Most of those companies end up getting bought. You know, like right. uh, uh, Ben and Jerry's got bought by Unilever or Whole Foods, which was on a crazy growth path anyway, ends up getting bought by Amazon, right? right. Or, um, and, sometimes, my, and if you're in the, in the public market, you could just get a hostile takeover even. Yeah. You, you know, know what my favorite was? It. You know that uh, that outfit, Burt's Bees? You know, they were oh, sort yeah. of like natural. Sure. They got bought by Clorox. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good Those one. bees are now very sad. Right. Yeah. They're chlorinated bees. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is there any penetration, like in terms of the the context of policymakers and and economists, politicians, to the idea that we can't keep growing the economy forever? Do you see? I mean, there's signs with these okay. academics in Europe. It's that- it's very fringe still. I mean, this is so. Let's let's talk about the mainstream again. You know, we're, we're going back to the mid '80s. Uh, you know, the time of leg warmers and feathered hair. Wonderful time. Wonderful time. Uh, but, I got good memories of that. But, yeah. Well, don't start singing Cindy Lauper songs, okay? <laughs> but let's go. You know, fast forward to now, the the head of the the secretary general of the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, that's the OECD, uh, one of the you know kind of prestigious, along with the World Bank and, and your your uh, federal uh, banks of, of the nations. This is this is one of your big. The you major know, developed nations in the world are members. Yeah, and and this is all about how do we progress or grow economically together, right? So, so the Secretary of General, Secretary General of that group, the OECD recently said, "We believe that it is possible to tackle climate change and grow the economy. Our bottom line is that green and growth are compatible. We can and must have them together." Oh my god. I like first of all that the, the guy says our bottom line is so there he goes with the financial spreadsheet uh, analogy. Well, I, I think the the key word there is must, right? Yeah. He feels the must. He feels the structural. He's imperative. hoping the can, you know. Yeah. When you look, one side of that is green, meaning that we don't uh, warm our climate to the point that we go extinct. Right. That's based on physics. That's uh, that's how much CO two and other greenhouse gases we put in the atmosphere. There's nothing to say about that. It's oh, a and by physics. the way, there are limits to those things. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, the other side is we must have growth. Why? Because we want it. You know? Well, he's looking at like I have. He's looking at demographic information. Like there are there are so many people who are going to retire in this time frame, and they're going to require a pension system, and and we're going to have to have replace of infrastructure as a government around the world. So we're going to require to have this much available to, to fix roads and bridges. And I mean, they're just looking at this. I mean, I think they're looking at these things saying, 
they don't ha- they don't have a clue of how to do it without growth as a problem. Every, every institution needs it. I mean, the government needs it because they need in- increased revenues from taxes, and those those increased taxes are only going to come from increased growth in income. Right? Well, this is the point: is that we've got to figure that out. Right. We've got to figure out how to have an economy that does not require growth. Because to say we we have to have both green and growth is just fantasy. It's fantasy. So the problem is then. If you're stuck on the growth, you can't actually think past it at all. Yeah. You know, what I, what, I, what I think it is, is actually taking Reagan's statement, right? Mm-hmm. And he said there are no limits to growth or human progress, right? And if you actually split those apart, he conflated them, right? And I think mm-hmm. that that's been our general policy and our attitude for decades on end. And we've actually embedded that in our institutions. Right? Well, but if you ex- except those, for RFK, who said we shouldn't be uh, following GDP. Well, we, he, we know it happened to him. He was an outlier, right? And he didn't last <laughs> right. very long. Um, so, so, you know, those two things have been conflated, progress and growth, right? We yeah. see them as interchangeable, synonymous, you know, uh, mutually dependent, whatever you want to say, Right. And I actually think it's the opposite. I, at this point, despite whatever the, the uh, OECD guy wants to say. Um, Is it OECD or OCD? Yeah, OCD. Yeah. I'm, obsessed. I'm obsessed with my growth. Um, <laughs> that, uh, despite all that, we've actually hit the limits. We're, we're seeing that. Right? Right now. We're seeing yeah. that. And in fact, if you look at economic growth, we've seen that it's taken an incredible amount of intervention into the economic system to try right. to grow it. And it's not been benefiting everybody, right? Pushing so on a string, they th- say. That system itself is, yeah. is wobbly, right, at best. Yeah. And, and then clearly the plan is trying to tell us, whoa, you know, you, you're going to continue on this path. You're going to get bitch slapped pretty hard, right? <laughs> and so I, I think it's because we've tied these two concepts together. Now, if we let them go and we said, actually, growth is the thing that's inhibiting our progress. It is, right. Just like, you know, what's the what's the 8 foot 11 guy? Robert. Robert, Robert Wadlow. Right. Yeah. Growth was inhibiting, inhibiting his, his progress, his progress right. right? So right. if we could let that go, I know that I sound kumbaya because we actually have to take that attitude and then and actually make structural, difficult structural changes to our institutions, our monetary policy, all these things as a result of that. But I, I think that that's the mind shift that needs yeah. to happen. That is clearly the first thing. I agree. That's yes. the first thing that's got to happen is that let's let go of this. We must have growth. And right. then you can start looking at things to do. So there's this. Then the innovation can take off. That's the crazy thing. I want people to be innovative. Within limits. Within the context of these limits. And then let's see what can happen. But if you ignore those limits, then you're going to be an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to be innovative when you're dead. (laughs) I remember there was, I heard about this study where they they looked at uh, behavior of children um, in terms of how they explored the world when if their their backyard was fenced in or not fenced in, okay. right? So like maybe they, these were farm kids or whatever, and, yeah. and their backyard went out into farms. It's a little similar to your property here, yeah. Jason, where we Uh-oh. are, right? But you Uh-oh. actually have a fence. There. Okay, thank you. And what they found was that the kids who had a fence actually explored virtually the entire area of their backyard, no matter how big it was. The kids that didn't have a fence stuck really close to the back door. Oh, that's weird. You know, because for them, in a sense, having a boundary allowed them to feel like they could explore. Oh, interesting. You know? And it, to, to your point, I think, Jason, that if we said, okay, well, let's let's try to be creative within these limits. Right. You know, we, we've got to cap CO2 emissions. We've got to cap economic activity. Right. You know, what do we do with that? 
right. you know, and, and it changes the ball game and it does provide a huge opportunity for thinking more innovatively about how we, yeah. how we tackle these things. Yeah. And one opportunity that, that we already know a lot about is the, the whole issue of equality. So there was this economist, Henry Wallach. He, he lived from 1914 to 1988 and he was this uh, real prominent economist, head of the U S central bank. He, he said, Growth is a substitute for equality of income. So long as there is growth, there is hope. And that makes large income differentials tolerable. This gets back to what you were saying, Asher, wow. about how, yeah, if you have growth, you don't have to pay people. Uh, right. you know. So, well, guess what? You know, the, the reverse is also true for that. If you have greater equality of income, that's a substitute for growth. Yeah. And it's a real positive way forward, you know, one of these innovations we could really work toward if we agree that that there are limits to growth. Yeah. Any well, more? Well, it makes me think of what you had said about Robert Robert Kennedy, right? That was in 68. You know, you're saying, uh, what was the quote? That GDP measures everything except that which is That which worthwhile. makes life worthwhile right. Yeah, right. or worth living. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um and and I would say, you know, in terms of the things that we need, we do need politicians that are going to be brave. You know, they all obviously have to be educated about this thing because they've been steeped like every, you know, uh, student of economics that goes to university every year in a mindset that's totally sending us in the wrong direction. But they also have to have courage to stand up and say, we're measuring the wrong things, you know? Well, that brings us right back to Carter and Reagan. Carter uh, was a nuclear physicist and a peanut farmer. Good boy. Uh, So he certainly understood some things about science and some things about the way the natural world works. And what was Reagan? An actor. He certainly understood make-believe. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so we, I think, have a lot of, in a sense, power in terms of deciding you know, who is going to represent us. And and the other thing I would say to people is to consider, and this is really hard, right? Because we're all locked in the system too. So to to tell people this is, is kind of like gulp. Think about what you're doing with your money. Yeah. You know, if we need to shift this trajectory, maybe don't think about trying to maximize, you know, your investments within the, the stock market. There's, there are probably good reasons to, to be a little skeptical of that Any in any case in terms of protecting your assets. But why don't you put that money to work in a way that's going to provide you benefits long term and immediate ones, you know, that may not be monetary, but that put you in a position where you can actually progress and thrive and be happy in the future. Either that or go on Amazon and buy as much plastic shit well, as you can. You know, one of the two. I don't know. Yeah, you'll you, definitely you make the choice. You'll definitely get a nice buzz when you when you get that box. <laughs> right. That's our show. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, rate or review it at iTunes. That really helps get in front of more people. To learn more, visit postcarbon.org slash crazy town. And if you want to actually learn something instead of listening to us bozos, you should check out Post Carbon Institute's Think Resilience course. It's four hours, 20 bucks, and will seriously change the way you see the world. Catch you next time on the mean streets at crazy town. Hey, I want to thank a sponsor, and uh, these guys have given us a lot of money because they have a lot. You know what I'm talking about, right? I like money. No, who? Finicon.
Oh, Finicon. That's oh. the financial advisors to financial advisors. Yeah, it's very exclusive. So if you're not a final financial advisor, then fuck off. There's nothing here for you. But what Finicon does is they combine the best of inside information with the best quants to make sure you're way ahead of your clients. Right. Okay. So Finicon basically helps you get ahead of the game, and then you could shuffle bad bad investments to your clients, yeah. right? So you can make money. You get fees from your clients right. while getting them to invest in bullshit stuff. Correct. Finicon helps you invest in real stuff. Right. Real stuff like pyramids. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's all one big pyramid, isn't it? And only Shh, the Finicon people know this. Right. All right. Well, thank you, Finicon. We appreciate it.